Hi, I'm Kenneth, and this is the Unspeakable Vice Podcast, where we talk about talking about sex. Sex is a dirty word, a taboo. It's something that just isn't talked about, and we're about to dig into why. I was recently made aware that last week was National Coming Out Week, culminating with Sunday, National Coming Out Day. The tradition of celebrating people in the LGBTQ community coming out of the closet, making sure people know that they exist, is a wonderful example of positive sex communication in action. Coming out is an act of pride in one's sexual identity. It is also a political action that seeks to normalize alternate sexualities. The more people come out, the more people will see that it's a pretty regular thing, that some people are not heterosexual or gender binary or straight in whatever way that word has meaning to you. There's another side of the story, though. To celebrate coming out, to normalize coming out, even to make it a rite of passage into the LGBTQ community, as some do, uh, is also to legitimize the idea that alternate sexualities are deviant. If they were normal, there would be no closet to come out of. Think about it. When was the last time you heard someone come out as straight? It doesn't happen because that's a normal sexual identity. When someone doesn't rock the heteronormative boat, their identities are unremarkable. There's no need for them to declare their identities because we have already made up assumptions about who they are. The only time someone needs to come out is when those assumptions are wrong, when their identity deviates from heteronormalcy. Standing up and saying, yes, I'm different, is cathartic, empowering, a boost to the self-confidence as you become a card-carrying, asking-and-telling member of a wonderful community. But it also says you're different. I'm not saying don't come out. I'm just dreaming of a world where coming out is boring. If you get on the rooftops and shout out who you are and feel great about it, wonderful. But in my dream world, people around you would look at you like you just declared your favorite pizza toppings. Because we can all appreciate pizza in different ways. And even if your favorites are not mine, it's really not that big of a deal. Anyway, this episode isn't about coming out. It's actually a conversation with another podcast host. She's been something of an inspiration to me because she's been walking the walk I've been talking about. In more, way, in more ways than one, she's made a mission of normalizing talking about sex. Hi, my name is Brienne. Um, I am also a host of a sex podcast. My podcast is called Sex Communication, um, but I am also uh, the founder of Graphic Paint, which is an umbrella brand that also produces sex communication. Um, and the focus of the brand is to champion sex positive projects. Um, we're really centered around a website uh, that's currently in development that's going to be an online community for people to share uh, multimedia without sexual censorship, uh, connect with others, be able to sell their own digital content, you know, the only requirement being authenticity and certain very specific things that our merchant provider won't allow content-wise. But um, yeah, I'm just really looking to change the narrative around sex, but also the experience of interacting with sexual content, especially when it comes to the online world, which is where we all live 24 hours a day. So. Okay. 
Great. Um, so I, I guess you and I have a common mission of uh, normalizing talking about sex. Um, and, and as you know, there are many social pressures that make sex taboo, such as religion and um, morality laws and sort of thing. And there's also uh, internal pressures, right? Uh, fear and shame, things like that. So what do you see as the biggest barriers to being open about talking about sex today? Well, I mean, again, I'm tackling this problem with the solution being online media. And I actually think the reason for that is because I think this is the biggest reinforcer of the stigma. You know, media is something that we access constantly. It's something that we internalize. Um, and it takes ideas that, you know, may have originated in religion. They may have originated in, you know, family etiquette or, you know, just tradition uh, with government practice. But then when you see the way media handles sex, you know, the way that uh, sex is kind of segregated from all other types of content, like that just reinforces an otherness and an otherness is just inherently negative. Um, you know, anything that's segregated, we start to see the thing that's separated as like, that's a bad thing and that's why it's separated. Um, so it's, you know, part of why I'm hoping to change how sex is presented. You know, it's not just having the conversation, but really thinking about like, this is, you know, meeting people where they are. We're carrying around phones. We have access to the internet all the time. And, you know, media, whether it's through advertising, whether it's through blogs or news sites or, you know, even films, it's like, it's all reinforcing this idea that sex is something that you talk about somewhere else, but not in normal daily life. So. I've uh, sometimes imagined that that this ideal world of talking about sex openly, it might look like the way that we talk about food. Um, I don't know if you think that's a good comparison or not, but you know, the recipe books and, and uh, maybe a sex network on television, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, at casual conversations about the best place to eat. Um, do you think this is a reasonable idea or are there things about sex that make it special, make it uh, unique and where we should even even being open should be more careful or reserved about the way that we talk about it? No, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think, you know, this stigma, it's not just about getting people to be more open about sex as far as, you know, talking about what their sex life is, but it's like, how does that play out into all of the other things that we struggle with, right? You know, conversations about consent, um, conversations about trauma and, you know, like the negative stuff. People don't talk about the negative stuff as much as they don't talk about the positive stuff. So I just think, you know, like the benefits are just, it's way beyond just normalizing and destigmatizing the topic. It's an opportunity for people to be more comfortable just sharing what has happened to them, whether it's good or bad, you know? Um, so I, I do think normalizing it so that it's to the point where it's just another topic, like you said, like food. I mean, that's part of what my vision for the site is, is like, it's not just sex. It's sex that's treated at the same level of importance um, and priority as we deal with every other topic, you know, news and reviews and culture stuff and, you know, whatever. It's, it's all just life stuff. So why do we have to treat one part of life as a, as a totally separate animal? Right. Um, so you, you mentioned consent, and I think that's an important topic I'd like to get in a little more. People, um, uh, when, when, when people think about not being open about sex, um, they might develop 
uh, incorrect assumptions about what's normal and what's not. Yeah. Um, people might miss out on pleasurable opportunities if they're not uh, uh, comfortable asking, but, but as you mentioned, consent is a part of it too. They might struggle to, to navigate that. Um, could you talk about that in a little more detail? Um, why uh, this, this complexity about the, the good and the bad is both, I, I guess what I'm getting at is um, when people uh, want to suppress sex or sex communication, a lot of times the rationale is that they don't want to be putting these ideas into people's head. And if we don't talk about it, then it won't exist right. or something like that. Can you talk about why that's not the case? Well, when we're uncomfortable about things, we don't want to talk about them. And when you don't have those conversations, you can get into very dangerous situations. Um, I mean, my perspective is very well informed living as a cis woman and having been sexually assaulted multiple times throughout my life um, as an adult, as a child, uh, everywhere in between. And it's still difficult for me to have those conversations. Like even with doing the show, you know, recording all these interviews, talking about it, writing about it, um, it's uncomfortable. You there's like this fear of, I don't even know what it is. It doesn't. It's just like a baseless fear. This feeling attached to these conversations because they're so, like it's just so uncommon, right? You don't. I don't know. I've never been advised on how to have the conversation. It's not something that's dealt with in school, or at least it wasn't in my experience. And is from what I can tell with even sex ed programs now, it's still not something that's tackled. Um, so it's like where to start. And then, you know, hesitation and discomfort with something like that. I mean, it, it carries over to like, well, do I feel comfortable asking for what I want in bed? It's, it's all of the same conversation, but just like different angles of it. Um, you know, and not being able to talk about consent it's you know akin to not being able to stick up for yourself and allowing a situation to progress where you're not comfortable you have not given consent and yet something is happening to you and you're then dealing with the consequences of that um you know giving somebody else power giving somebody the the entire control of a situation what happens how it's dealt with you know because you're the one not speaking up and i think people don't speak up because they don't know any better most of the time, and other times they know full well better, but they're not acting on it because it's so uncomfortable to have these conversations. Um, you know, especially as a woman too, there's like a fear of what kind of violent reaction might befall me if I bring this up, if I say no, if, you know, we've done X, Y, and Z, but I'm like, nope, not gonna do this other thing. Um, you know, that's a very reasonable fear. It's a very reasonable fear. And it's just, it's unfortunate that it is sexual assault, especially with women is as common as it is. Uh, it's, you know, it's plenty common with men as well, but it's become like a cultural norm to dominate women, uh, especially in the US. And I know in other places, it's even worse. In some places, it's better. But you know, I live in the States. And that's been my experience. And it doesn't seem to have changed all that much, even for as sex positive as it's, you know, become so trendy to be lately, it still doesn't not mitigate those, uh, those risks. Yeah, you, 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 you say from your personal experience that it's still difficult to talk about, and I can certainly relate to that as well. Um, uh, I've had several years of telling my story, and it still can be very difficult at times um do you think do, do you see from your own experience that it gets easier 
uh, or, uh, or that there's some healing from talking about it? Yeah, certainly. I mean, another thing that I've been very open about is the fact that I'm sober. Um, and, you know, I stay sober by participating in a 12-step recovery program. And the at the heart of that program is um, sharing one's story, right? And sharing honestly, taking an honest inventory, um, just being fearless about like whatever your truth is and knowing that you know, if you've done something wrong, it doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you, you know, sick or, you know, like we are not necessarily, <laughs> we were like we can be defined by our actions, obviously, but it's like, um, you know, the possibility of forgiveness, of change, um, and that it all comes from kind of acknowledgement and, and being very uh, willing to accept responsibility for something by looking at it in a very honest, brutally honest way. Um, so just given all of that, like I've shared about my own sexual assaults many times, you know, both privately with, with um, people that I'm working with one-on-one, -on -one, but also in the context of groups. And even still, like I still will, you know, share it at a meeting and have somebody tell me that it's inappropriate that I talked about a certain part of my story it's my fucking story. If I want to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it. I mean, it's, it's, it definitely, all of those experiences have shaped who I am and, and why I am where I am and, and why I do what I do. Um, and it's, it's so important for other people to hear it and identify. And I have so many more people coming up to me, men and women and, and everything in between saying, you know, nobody ever talks about that. And I really appreciate that you shared about this particular topic because, you know, this happened to me too, um, which is another part with the site of being so open about these things. Like that's another way that we normalize things, right? It's not just seeing examples of it, but seeing or hearing very personal accounts because then you know this isn't just something that a company created, right? It's not just a construct, you know, that's been developed so that you you perform a certain action. It's somebody honestly sharing their story so you can know that you are not alone and you have that opportunity to identify, which in turn just leads to, you know, acceptance and feeling more connected and a whole host of other positive things. So do you um, do you see that talking about an understanding your past helps you to negotiate the present or, or the future in terms of asking yeah. what, what you want. And, or, you yeah. Know, I mean, like. certainly if I, I didn't look back on those things with the perspective that I have with the awareness and the acceptance, um, you know, I, I, my eyes wouldn't be as open going forward into new things. Right. Um, like plenty of things can happen to you, but if you never sit and examine how they happened and why they happened and you know the circumstances around it and you know how you felt afterwards um you're, you're never going to give yourself the opportunity to behave in a different way which is kind of what we're all looking for so so part of the reason that as a culture we um are are afraid of sex is that it can be dangerous and maybe we blow that out of proportion sometimes but there's truth to it it, it can be dangerous uh in in the wrong context and uh you mentioned sex ed um uh for for children and so particularly we want to protect children or vulnerable people from sex um but at the same time children are exposed to sex from the day they're born right we we give them a sexual identity male or female and then there's all these sorts of cultural norms that come along with that about how you're supposed to behave and even if we don't intend that to be 
sexual at first, it certainly is all related, I think, right? Right. The, um, the, the ideas of, of uh, normalizing masculine behavior are very much interrelated with issues of, of like you said, dominance and aggression. And, um, and I think there's a missing piece between, between what is normal for children to be exposed to and what they need to learn to be um, uh, uh, healthy adults in terms of sexuality. Um, do you think that um, there's something fundamentally wrong with our approach to sex ed or do we just need to do a better job of communicating these things? Well, I think there's <laughs> a lot fundamentally wrong, a lot missing. Um, you know, I mean, my experience with sex ed was uh, related to STIs and preventing pregnancy. So that's all very useful information, right? But like I said, consent is a huge missing part of that conversation. But also the idea of sexual pleasure. And, you know, I, I understand a lot of people's hesitation with, you know, just in the same way in the 90s, it was a whole thing about like, we don't want to offer condoms at school because this is just going to be encouraging everybody who sees or has access to a condom to have sex, which is not true. Um, you know, it's a matter of being open about healthy behavior. Like it's one thing to, you know, have a child only encounter unhealthy depictions and unhealthy demonstrations of, of sexuality. Um, and another to, you know, kind of force the issue with, with positive things. And, you know, if we think about it very realistically, there is no child that is not aware of porn, right? And there's a whole backlash that, you know, porn is so negative and porn is, you know, ruining our kids and corrupting them. And, you know, but that's the only real, I don't want to say honest, but like, um, but I mean explicit, I would say explicit. It's the only real explicit demonstration of sex that they have access to most of the time because we're not offering an alternative. So what would it look like if we, instead of running away from how, you know, we, we show sex, like they, they shouldn't be looking at sex. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to like have that, that exposure. We don't want to like go that far. You're giving them no alternative, but to seek something out that will actually show them body parts and will actually show them actions. So they don't have to wonder about the vagaries of, you know, maybe illustrations or vague language in a book. Um, because, you know, all these topics are skirted around, they're never addressed. And so that's what they seek out. So I just propose that we, you know, embrace the topic and try to put, you know, healthy things out there instead. And you can educate somebody much better. I think educational porn would be so useful. And I mean videos with real people having sex that you see. You can see what a trans person looks like. You can see what group sex looks like. You can see what it looks like for a woman to insert a tampon or a trans, you know, woman not dealing with that. And maybe a trans man menstruating. Like, you know, being able to see these things in specifics, um, like education is power and, and, you're setting children up to be safer, to be, uh, you know, more able to advocate for themselves because they know the reality of something. When you just keep something under wraps, 
it, it's just, it's always going to lead <laughs> to something that's not going to be good. But I mean, the information is out there. They're not going to not get it. So it's like, well, how about we give them good information instead? So, you know, I, I think realism is very important. Um, education about, you know, that pleasure is a component of sex. It's not just like, how do you not get pregnant? And how do you not catch herpes or AIDS or whatever? Um, but like, how, how is this a part of normal life? And how, how can you be good at it? And how can you take your own pleasure into your own hands? You know, I eat masturbation. Um, and it's, again, it's not encouraging them to do it. It's just saying, this is the information that's out there. And I'm going to shoot straight with you and, and tell you all about it. So let's talk about pornography and art uh, more broadly. Um, I guess, is there a distinction? Should we, I, I'm not sure what the best way is to use those <laughs> words, but um, por pornography tends to have a very negative association, but, but you're talking about a positive use of sexual art. Can you talk about what you have in mind? Yeah, I mean, just reality-based. I mean, documentary-style sex that maybe <laughs> would be uh, less confusing because, yeah, the word pornography does does bring with it a lot of connotations. And I mean, it, it even the definition is like it's intended for arousal, which I, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm very pro-porn, but I do recognize that there are... Um, there's bad porn out there and there are some really good independent, you know, very body positive, very gender inclusive um, creators of porn out there. They're few and far between, but I, I think in terms of using it for sex ed, I, I think is something that that's not being tackled. I mean, I don't know anybody that's doing that. Um, but I, I just think that that would be real. I mean, I think about how when I grew up, you know, asking my mother what a blowjob was and she told me it meant to give oral pleasure, which at the time I was reading these books um, that would talk about oral presentations and that it was about speaking skills. So I'm hearing this and I'm like, does that mean to like tell a good, like I knew she was being vague and it was just such confusing language. Like what the fuck are you, what, this, this is not an answer, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's not like if she had, if I had somebody that was straight with me and said, no, this is what a blowjob is, or maybe showed me a video of somebody giving somebody else a blowjob, I would have understood. And it wouldn't have been like, oh, well, now I'm going to go out and do that now because I've seen an example of it. I mean, that's just ludicrous. Um, it just would have set me up better. And honestly, the reason why I was asking, because I was in fifth grade and I had a boyfriend a year older that was already talking about blowjobs. Like, don't you think it would have been helpful for your daughter to have known exactly what the guy was talking about that would have made it safer for me? I mean, I felt incredibly uncomfortable being alone with him. Like, I didn't know what he was going to try to make me do. I, I don't have this actual idea of what a blowjob is. It was just, you know, my fears and everything. And, and uh, it's just such nonsense. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that answer so, your question. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and, and thinking more broadly um, about, about your mission and the, the idea of normalizing sex, how do you think art plays into that as opposed to just having conversations? Well, it's funny. I'm also a, a visual artist and I, 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 <laughs> I don't care about art in this context, honestly. But I mean, when I think about that, I think about like erotica, which I hate. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm more interested in just in reality, in honesty. Um, so, you know, like when I said, you know, documentary style depictions of sex, um, same with writing. I'm not into like erotic fiction or, 
you know, whatever. But I love to read people's firsthand accounts of something that's true. Um, so, I, I mean, again, that's my motivation for trying to drive that direction with the site. But I, you know, I'm, I'm creating something that's crowdsourced, right? So at some point, I'm not going to be driving that ship. It's going to be a matter of like, what do people want to post? And a lot of people, you know, that's how they, they are comfortable talking about sex and, 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 you know, sharing about it, you know, if they make things like as a creator that that's helpful to them, which is great for them. It's not something I'm at all interested in. Um, you know, it's, I don't think sex has been missing from art ever. I mean, just the fact that like nudes are so, I mean, it's such, it's like a weird contradiction that, you know, nude statues and paintings have been around for hundreds of years and yet we're still uncomfortable with nudity. So I don't put a lot of stock in like art being able to save us in, in this situation. I truly think it's about like, what is the truth? What are people really doing? And how can I see it or read about it or hear it? Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's interesting. I think sometimes I've thought that fiction in writing and, and art is the same way, but fiction is a way to talk about things that are too difficult to talk about otherwise. That yeah. as a as a creator of of that type of work, I think that that can put some distance between me and the work in a way that allows me to express things that if I were just saying it directly might be too hard to do. Does that make sense? It does. It does. But like my, my gut reaction to it is like, it feels like spin, right? It feels like fantasy. And I, I don't think either of those things are helpful, especially, you know, when I think about <laughs> all the writing that that's out there and how, uh, how often the more popular depiction of something will be, you know, an experience that a woman is having, but surprise, it's written by a cis man who has no idea and is, you know, <laughs> it unintentionally, you know, well, maybe not unintentionally, but sharing information that's not useful and somebody reading it like, oh, I'm supposed to quiver at a touch and we're going to, you know, have simultaneous orgasm. Like that's mm. fucking bullshit. That's not helpful to anybody. And I, I just feel like, again, what is, what is the truth? Yeah. <laughs> Tell it to me straight. Show me people, neither of them can come to an orgasm or one does and the other one's just like defeated. They just <laughs> like, we, I just want to see the reality of it because I, I think it also gives people, um, you know, the space, like a safe space to feel like I don't have to be performing. I don't have to, you know, meet this expectation. I don't have to have an, you know, a certain experience or a certain result. Um, and it just lets them, them be where they are and, you know, just <laughs> be in the moment instead of shooting for something, which I, I think any, any, uh, any creation, any art or fiction or whatever movies, they're always striving for this ideal, you know, it, it's, I just, I'm more, <laughs> I mean, when I, I enjoy my entertainment, um, you know, false or otherwise, but, but when it comes to like changing a conversation and changing thinking and to educating people and to try to motivate changed behavior, I think uh, reality all the way is the way to go. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's everything that I had to talk about. Is there anything that we didn't cover yet that you think is important and you'd like to bring up? Let me see. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> this is an interesting thing I've been dealing with recently. So my podcast um, 
you know, I, I said, you know, one of the things too with, with reality is like, I want to hear it also. So um, I didn't mention, but my podcast uh, features episodes of audio porn, which is just audio recordings of real sex. And I was recently banned from my podcast platform um, for having pornographic content, which was really interesting to me, given that it was a completely audio only medium and that it's real. Um, there is audio porn out there where it's actually people that are acting. They're like reading either erotica or maybe something that that's factually based, but they're performing the reactions. They're performing the sounds. And that's not what I'm sharing. I'm sharing real people having sex or masturbating. And like, what does that really sound like? Um, and it, it's funny, there is this immediate assumption, especially from, I have a more majority male listenership, um, which is not shocking to me. But anyway, um, I'm not putting them out there to turn people on. And in fact, when the idea occurred to me to use a podcast to put content like that out there, to even, you know, like record sex and listen to it, it was never about that. You know, it was about having the opportunity to, um, hear something from a different perspective or, you know, I, I want to say, look at something in a different perspective, but you're hearing it, you're not seeing it, but it just gives you different insight, right? I mean, there's something so, so disconnected um, about how, how we see sex, but I think, you know, taking the visuals out of it, especially given, you know, how kind of doctored a lot of visuals are, like, and, and just being able to listen to something, your understanding of the situation and the intimacy of it is just incredibly compelling. And I think even just from an anthropological standpoint, it's just like, why aren't we, why haven't other people really been focusing on examining sexuality in this way? Um, you know, it's like more towards the science. So anyway, I did find a new podcast host uh, after another try. So um, I'm actually coming off of hiatus today. And I was, you know, grateful for this opportunity to do your show because I was hoping it was going to get me a little, you know, jazzed up to do it because it, it's been really frustrating. You know, the show's been out, we're almost at the end of our second year. And it's just like, still dealing with this shit. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's just sounds of people having sex and you wouldn't even know it if I didn't fucking put it in the title of the thing. Like it was all prompted by Spotify taking down several of my episodes and then my host Buzzsprout throw them under the bus being like, oh, hey, fuck you. By the way, you got to take your podcast off of our, our platform by the 7th. Um, yeah, it was a real, uh, whatever. Anyway, that's just... <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole, uh, a whole, I've, I've been thinking about doing an episode on censorship, actually, just because there's, it's uh, such a, a complicated and a weird problem. You know, there's, there's certainly laws that, that fit into it as well, but the way things are set up, a lot of platforms uh, have their own policies or whatever that go far beyond the law. And um, uh, it's not, it's not clear if that's, helpful or um, if, if it's actually serving the purpose that it uh, is designed to. But uh, I'm glad to hear that you're back up and running and I'm looking forward to the future episodes. Yes, you're, you're oh, going to be, I haven't published your episode yet, so you, you, were, you were coming. Okay, great. We can all <laughs> look forward to that. Um, 
So thanks for doing this. Uh, it was great talking with you. Likewise, Kenneth, thank you. As you heard at the end there, Brianne interviewed me for her podcast, and that episode will be coming soon. I'll warn you that it's a much more personal and detailed conversation than anything I've discussed here, but in terms of honest and real conversation about sex, it certainly fits the bill. If that sounds like your cup of tea, I definitely encourage you to look for it. Take a look at her other episodes, too. She's interviewed people in sex work, as well as people who simply love sex. Uh, and if you want examples of what real sex communication is like, her podcast is the place to find them. It's called, simply, Sex Communication. And you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Except, evidently, Spotify. Go figure. Funny story. I almost hosted this podcast with Anchor FM until I saw that they were bought by Spotify. And Spotify's morality clause in their licensing agreement scared me away. So far, they haven't censored any of my episodes, though. Anyway, Brienne's other venture is graphic paint, so check that out, too, especially in the near future. Uh, I, for one, am uh, certainly looking forward to what comes of that project. So, thanks for listening. Thank you.